2: Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined by prospect McBasketball, aka Canyon Driver, Mike Garcia. How are you today, my friend?
1: Doing well. How are you doing, man?
2: I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Still very busy at work, but I wanted to take some time out to chat with you. Unfortunately, Tim is unavailable to make it with us. We had some scheduling issues this week, but... I know you've been going up and down the line of Lakers pods, NBA pods, draft coverage, just a busy time of year for you, but thank you for joining us, my friend. This is going to go up, you know, the night before the draft. (laughs) So I'm guessing a lot of Lakers fans have already gotten a lot of downloads from other pods, obviously to get the, the, you know, the skinny from these uh, from you from on these prospects. So we're going to keep it fast and loose. I was telling you, like, I had no time to do prep. Mike, these are names on a page. So <laughs> we're going to sure keep thing. it loose. <laughs> I wanted to ask some questions about you. You know, I have been I have been reading up your, your sub stack, which is fantastic. If you'd like to plug that early, let's sure. get that in now.
1: Sure. Uh, I started a sub stack at the end of June and into July. It is LakersDraft.Substack.com it is going to be a look at guys who are projected late lottery to mid first, mostly around the Lakers pick, of course, and a few guys around in the second round, just in case they trade out or guy slip or they buy a pick, whatever it might be. But for sure, there's a wealth of uh, coverage there, especially for the guys who the Lakers should be looking at.
2: Awesome. And and of course the draft is weird. You know, the, we're, always picking people. Like we weren't expecting a lot of years, at least in Lakers world, you know, I don't think anybody (laughs) saw us taking Kyle Kuzma or Josh Hart, you know, so, or even like (laughs) Mo Wagner, these are, so we do our best with what's available, but the draft is an inexact science. And uh, you can see that just by how many NBA teams mess it up, right? (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Every year. And then I just scroll on Twitter and see like, Oh, that's who you want to get. That's cool. Just another guy slides down to a liquor pick. Great. Yeah, absolutely. So
2: just like in free agency, right? It's like a game of musical chairs where you never know what names could be available based on what happens. So we're going to keep it pretty loose today. Um, I just wanted to start first by asking you, you know, how you approach this process um, from skill uh, to physicality to IQ. There's so many things that are hard to, you know, p- fully say about a player right away, even if they've right. been playing basketball for a long time and you've seen them since they were 13, you know, guys like Mike Schmitz and Jonathan Gavoni do a great job, but even they're wrong. Right. So right. what do you focus on? What stands out to you and what's part of your process in all this?
1: So that's actually a really tough question that deserves a really long answer, but I'll try to break it down. <laughs> um, so the first thing I look for is what does a player do best Sometimes it's one thing. Sometimes it's two things. Sometimes it's three things. If it's kid Cunningham, it's probably six things. Yeah. Right. But when you're, when you're looking down at the Lakers pick, you're just looking for one thing. Can the guy shoot? Is he a good ball handler? Is he a great playmaker? Maybe he handles pick and roll really well. Maybe he's a great defender and he just, just enough on offense to actually keep himself on the floor, which leads me to the second part of what can we do to keep the guy on the floor?
0: Mm. If
1: you do, have that one offensive skill that doesn't mean every possession that you're going to get the ball and do that one thing every single time AD and LeBron are on the floor. They're getting the ball, man. Sorry. Right. Yeah. So for the Lakers case, especially you're looking for guys that can do things on the defensive end. Maybe they don't require a ton of usage. They have low turnover rates. Uh, they make simple basic decisions or they're just very predictable on the offensive and defensive end. And that'll keep them on the floor. They'll stay productive. They can create positive lineups out of that. Even if you know rookies aren't projected to do well from the jump, at least hey, yeah, this guy can play ten minutes, and he's not gonna you know be detrimental to the team so badly that we gotta kick him off the floor, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third aspect is really a culmination of everything outside of the skill set. It's hey, does this guy have the right size? Can he be physical? Is there enough athleticism to correlate to that size? And is he a good guy in the locker room? Does he have the right goals? Um, What's he really after? Is he just trying to, you know, obviously everybody's trying to get their first big contract and make it to the NBA, and that's great. Mm -hmm. But it's especially interesting if you find a player that has other goals like, hey, maybe I want to be a defensive player of the year, or I understand my role early on, but I want to become a guy that carries uh, more offensive load down the line. That kind of thing is... Would be tremendous, and I think it says a lot about a player and their success in the NBA.
2: I love that answer so much, Mike, because I and this is why you know sitting next to you at Summer League, I think 2017. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> we're just yeah, we're hoping to get that energy back here in a couple of weeks. But just watching the game with you, it's it's not just inside out moves and crossovers and, and, you know, step up shooting. It's the human element, um, which I appreciate about your writing. You take a lot of things into context that aren't strictly basketball. Now, of course the skills, you know, can be learned, uh, skills present show, you know, more upside. So there's all these factors and I still appreciate you taking into consideration, uh, ambition, right? Not everyone has the same ambition the drive
1: sometimes players are just on a different curve just because Chris Duarte is 24 doesn't mean his upside is technically capped. It just might happen later, right? Mm -hmm. Like we see a lot of players now get into the league at 19 through 21. And then we predict their prime years around 26, 27, 28, something like that. Well, if Chris Duarte has only been playing 30 games a year for five years in a row, and he's 24, Chances Mm -hmm. are he's going to be more physically built to withstand an 82 game season. And maybe that peak comes at age 30, 31, 32. It it doesn't really change anything in terms of how I look at the player in terms of overall upside. It just happens later. So development um, varies between each player. Some guys, I mean, they turn 15 and they're amazing players at 15. And then they don't really develop and then they're kind of done at 19, 20, 21. They don't make it. Mm-hmm. Some guys, like for example, uh, another example is uh Trey Murphy,
2: right? Uh, yeah.
1: Um, he's 21, he's from Rice University, he's really he just had a growth spurt, he's kind of lanky, he's got a seven-foot wingspan, he's about six foot nine. And you know, if you watch Virginia, he's mostly a catch-and-shoot guy. He just attacks the closeouts and He moves his feet laterally really well, but he's not really a physical player yet. Well, give him a couple of years. Maybe he'll grow into his body a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Just because, sure, he's 21 and it's not 19. The upside may not change exactly for him. So that's another aspect to be mindful of in regards to the NBA draft as well.
2: Yeah, or maybe he won't. And that's what happens sometimes too, right? All things are on the table. We can't just say someone is something yet because... Look, you look at guys like Kawhi, can't shoot, just the defender, right? <laughs> and, and maybe yeah. that's an extreme example, but we yeah. see players all, out there. all the time. Sure, yeah. yeah. And and like I was saying, with ambition means it speaks to someone's character and then there's the whole other character side of things, which we don't really touch on. We don't know these people. So yeah. all that put aside. You you mentioned something earlier I wanted to touch on again where Tim and I were talking and I brought up the point Uh, that it feels like more players are entering the league now, able and ready to contribute to winning basketball. Do you think that's true? Or is it more specific case-by-case basis?
1: I think generally speaking, especially the past several years, the draft has kind of slightly gotten deeper. Hmm. Usually I'll see a crop of, let's say, 275 to 330 guys that declare. And maybe I'll look at 100 And out of those 100, okay, yeah, 20 to 30 guys are going to be second contract guys or they're stars or they're going to be quality players. Great. But I've noticed in the past recent years where. It looks like, wait a second, the base floor of athleticism at the NBA level is just raising. Mm -hmm. Right. And we don't really always see the crazy outlier athlete like, sure, there's Giannis and he's once in a blue moon, but that's not every year. Mm -hmm. Right. Even Kid Cunningham, he's the number one prospect for me. He's not the outrageous athlete. Um, Jalen Green, he's phenomenal. Like he's fast, he's twitchy, he jumps out of the gym and whatnot. But he's not 230 pounds. And we're looking at the dominant guys now, where Jokic is. I don't know how much he weighs now, but he's giant, mm-hmm. right? Doncic doesn't burn people with speed. He's just a big wing who just bumps people off. Yeah. Kawhi uses his shoulders to bump people off his drives now, and now it's not so much a, an athleticism game anymore. And because of that, the, the guys that have enough athleticism, but have the skill set to complement it, mm-hmm. can hang. So that's what it looks like out of these draft classes that are just getting better and better and being able to contribute to winning teams.
2: So you're saying like Stro-Mile Swift, Hakeem Warwick, <laughs> Ricky Davis. Wow. They're not for going, up these names. <laughs> they're not going top five just because they can jump out of the gym anymore.
1: Well, it's funny that you mentioned those names because the philosophy behind the draft, I mean, you've mentioned names that are probably 15, 20 years back. Right, and right. I know those names. That's how yeah. long I've been looking at this yeah, thing, right? Yeah. right? So if you, you say Stromile Swift, I remember that guy. That guy was crazy, right?
2: Insanely athletic.
1: Right. And then we look at this draft and then it's Jericho Sims, who's a clutch client and he's 6'9", maybe 7'3", plus arms and he's got a 44-inch vert and he's just a giant lob target. Like, it's a different kind of athleticism but he's still jumping out of the gym, except he's not 220 pounds like miles Swift was. He's like 260 plus or whatever he is now. He's right. a full-grown center, right? Right. So you can't exactly ignore it. And imagine his kind of skill set would traditionally be maybe a late first-round pick. And just because of the depth in this kind of draft and the talent level, he might be early to mid-second. It's weird to see that happen, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the team took it a chance on him. And just said. Yeah, we need a lob target. He looks like he's switchable on defense. If we right. can keep that out of foul trouble, he's a great get. So yeah. that's exactly what it looks like.
2: It sounds like a good Dallas second round pick, you know, somebody with that <laughs> vertical, vertical spacing to to go up and catch lobs and just make any pick and roll partners super happy.
1: So so Dwight, Dwight Powell's gonna like get a little less playing time, not getting pushed around in the paint anymore. There's Jericho Sims catching the ball like 13 feet up in the air because like, yeah. it's just going to loft it up. Yeah. And it'll just like, yeah, I got it. It's good. Dunk. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> no, but like, of course, that is um, a valuable thing to have. You know, I think what we're talking about here is that the league in general kind of correcting to what matters, what's more valuable. And, and the league is considerably different than all those guys I listed when they came in. You know, so You have to take all that into context, I guess, but I guess really cool. You touched on it before as well. Before we get into some names here, I just quickly wanted to ask you what you thought, you know, I know, you know, thankfully we're like I said, 20 hours before the draft, the Lakers have not traded their pick as of right now. There's still time yet. There's still time, but You know, what do you think the Lakers should be targeting as far as skill sets and, you know, which of those are translatable do you feel more confident about? Like, it feels like to me, shooting is shooting. Uh, I know it's an oversimplification, but if you can make an open jumper, you can make an open jumper. Um, And guarding the pick and roll, that's different because of the rules, you know, the hand checking, a lot of these other physical elements that aren't in, uh, you know, NCAA and maybe some of these other leagues. But I guess just first, what is what do we need there, um, barring all these crazy moves that might come?
1: So uh, in terms of Laker needs, I mean, shooting is obvious, but I could get into more specific than that. So there's catch and shoot shooting, which is generally we think of guys standing at the corner and he's open and he doesn't get a ton of touches. But when he touches the ball, we expect him to make the shot. That's fair. Then there's the other aspect of shooting where, hey, can he pump fake, take a sidestep, still stay behind the yard, take that shot? Can he attack a closeout and pull up from mid range and still hit that shot? Can he get all the way to the rim and actually put uh rib pressure and maybe get to the foul line that'd be great so there's also a, an element of shot variation that goes along with shooting mm-hmm. and that's the on ball stuff right so what we really love to see is some movement shooting right and maybe buddy healed is a guy who knows mm-hmm. but i've looked at movement shooting at the college level and it's it's different Right, Mm. I I guess I've been spoiled by watching Duncan Robinson, and he just (laughs) shoots contorted movement shots, but he still gets his form off.
2: and He gets up straight in the air, you know what I mean? He he lines up up as he's going up, which is impressive as hell. Sorry, yeah,
1: no, but I totally agree with you. His he lines up to the rim at the end, and then it's the shot release, and you cannot find that at the NCAA NCAA level. What I'm looking for is okay. Does he plant his feet? can he do something to maybe get an extra edge for an extra tenth a second or two before a defense recovers? And most of the time, yeah, they plant their feet. And then I try to think about, Oh, I think an NBA level defender could test that pretty well. So now it's about shot quickness and everything else. But as said, shooting matters a lot. That's one mm-hmm. of the team needs for sure. Uh, another aspect is just uh one V one shot creation the Lakers don't exactly have a ton of guys that break guys off the dribble, right? When we see LeBron James, it's always that look at the floor. I'm going to pull up for a three thing. Right. And mm-hmm. if it's not that he's running a pick and roll or he's in the post, which I would love to see more in the post. That'd be great. But it's different when you're seeing a, another shot creator and utilizing LeBron in a different in a different way. And maybe he's a big out of the pick and roll situation. Now you got the scariest role man in the league, mm. right? You know, a short roll passing is going to be unbelievable, but just anyone else who could break a defender off the dribble and manipulate the defense a little bit, just force a def- defense to focus on anybody else, except Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And that would yeah. unload a lot. Then there's just defense. Defense is so hard to kind of translate from a level to the next. Um, I tried writing about it and looking at a specific aspect in regards to just physicality and how players play defense, right? So I'll mention a few names. Like we mentioned Trey Murphy before, and he's still growing into his body, so I completely don't blame him. And he does a great job moving his feet laterally and just staying in front of guys, but he doesn't really use his chest, right? He Mm. just stays laterally all the way in front of the player, all the way to the rim, and then he'll extend with his arms out and try to contest a shot that way, as opposed to, say um Kessler Edwards he I know he's not as big of a name I have him as a late first round ranking but Kessler Edwards is a guy who played for Pepperdine and he used to be a big man and then he got converted to a wing so now he's this six foot eight guy seven foot wingspan understands team rotation now because he's done all that stuff right he knows how to close out and then when he sees the ball moving around and he needs to dive into the paint and protect the rim. That comes naturally. So now yeah. you've got this great team defender who may not be the best 1v1 wing defender overall. But yeah, I can absolutely trust that guy in a team defensive concept. And he plays physically as well. Sure, he looks more and ready defensively than the next guy. So I think those three things altogether with shooting 1v1 and defensive play are just all critical needs, especially for the Lakers.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I liked what you said there about not using his chest. Uh, I'll try to kind of break it down as far as I know using, you know, my, my experience in, in basketball, but what that helps do is kind of seal off another player's upper body. So they don't get that shoulder past you because once their shoulders past you, it doesn't matter if your base is there, they'll step right over. They'll go through it. You'll catch a knee to knee. You'll probably get a blocking foul in the NBA, you know, and that's not one of these rules that'll get probably taken out. That's just a blocking foul.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the one of the things I've noticed, like when Kawhi drives and attacks the ball, is okay. How is he going to leverage his shoulder? So he gets really low. That's one thing. So he's trying to get the shoulder past the defender. But man, when he hits a defender with his shoulder, and it's not even a block, right? That defender is just he's he's just shedded off the drive, yeah. and then Kawhi the doesn't. He doesn't really detour his lane. He's like, no, I'm still going straight. I'm still going to the rim, and. It's still so hard to find a guy that can just absorb the contact and still be willing to slide at the same time. It's almost impossible, really.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: when you're trying to find NBA translatable defense, that is one of those aspects I'm specifically looking for.
2: Yeah. So when the worry on that, and as great as it is, a six-eight wing who can, you know, partly defend the wing or it's the the rim and and contest shots. What that says to me is if there is a wing and there's a lot of them in the NBA, right, who is going to pump fake and drive past you, you're a traffic cone at that stage, Um, which, you know, the Lakers probably have the personnel to rotate. And they're one of the better off ball rotating teams in the league, I think, especially with their personnel. But, you know, that's just another leak in the, in the dam there that you just got to work around. So, Kessler Edwards, I like that here. Um, so, I guess we can uh, – I guess let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and get into some of these names.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at
2: Marines.com. All right, so I have this list here. We were going to talk about some of these guys, again, these are names on a page to me and when the pick is made, I'll do my research, but I listen to people who do this because it is a lot of freaking work, Mike, and I respect and appreciate all that you do. Um, So you mentioned Jaden Springer as kind of being toward the top. Talk to me about what kind of player he is and uh, some of the skill sets, maybe some of the weaknesses he might bring if he is drafted by the Lakers.
1: So he's a combo guard. He's roughly around 6'3 without shoes, 6'7 plus wingspan. Uh, What I like about him is that physicality. He just seems naturally built as a 6'3, 200. He looks like he's 210, 220 uh, kind of guard. And when he defends point of attack, he can heat up a ball handler. And I think he has the kind of physicality where he can shade guys to one side or the other, depending on where that screen is actually going. But I think the more impressive part is when he goes on top of the screen, he's aiming to get that top foot over. He can get skating mm. for such a big guy. And if you know, his opponent is breaking him off the dribble, he's using his feet first, chest second, limbs last, and he's not a traffic cone anymore. Now he's a fire hydrant and he's in the paint. And now he's mm. a, he's a little wall himself. I like that. Right. I like so, that. so that's what I like about him defensively. Now, offensively, it's a little bit more of a mixed bag. There's, Nothing that seems really perfected except for one specific aspect. Uh, let me start with the three-point shooting. So he is a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He's not really a dynamic ball handler behind the line that'll pull up, but he'll catch-and-shoot shoot it. Uh, from memory, it's 43.5% under two under two attempts a game. But when defenders run him off, he uses an advanced move, he gets into the paint, and... He'll use his body to shield the ball a little bit and get these mid-range jump shots that he just shoots over the defense and it's comfortable. It's well within the context of his game. So it tells me, man, you know what? If he can't get all the way to the rim, but he sees the defense all in the paint and everybody's sacked down, well, he could get a shot over his guy. It's just going to be this kind of shot, Mm -hmm. right? Stephen Curry, he creates space off the dribble, uses his quickness and he gets a shot off great well, here's an 18-year-old kid who I think is a pretty good defender, and now, hey, I can rely on him for this one shot, and he's not going to be a total deficit on the offensive end, and he's at least willing to shoot, right? The bonus here is when he's attacking the hoop, he's a great short-range kind of passer. Within 10 feet, he can find that open guy, whether it's on the cut or off the dunker spot. And I think that leads to more upside down the line but at least at his given age, I do think he's able to contribute something on the basketball floor. Even if it's just a, uh, a steal 10 minutes a game, I think he can do
0: that.
2: I like it. Uh, the 18 years old is is young to imagine playing next to LeBron. Um, yeah. If I'm being honest, just just pl- reading the room here. Yeah. <laughs> it took yeah. THT a year in the G League to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Earn that respect to come up. And he was drafted when LeBron was on the team. So, um, not, not a bad pick what you're describing for me is somebody with, it's almost like a, like a, a nasty Avery Bradley with longer arms, you there's, know,
1: there's, there's an aspect of that. There's a little bit of aspect of THT to him as well. It's mm-hmm. like having a wing player. He just happens to be a guard who defends point of attack.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: That, that works well around a LeBron kind of. Absolutely. Roster.
2: Yeah especially with the defensive kind of intensity that you're describing. Somebody who can get skinny and and that, yeah, that's describing like an Alex Caruso. Somebody who fights over screens, you know, and doubling down on a strength is never a bad thing. If anything, that's what elevates you to become a championship team because your strengths are so strong. Everyone talks about balance. You know, yeah. like you need everything, but I think it's actually when you have the right strengths, you need to build strength on. You trade for that extra starting pitcher when yeah, you have exactly. three aces, right? Yeah, because now you have four aces,
1: <laughs> right? I mean, the Lakers are a power team. They were a power team during their championship year. I think they want to look at a guy that lines up with that kind of philosophy, and I think Jaden Springer is that kind of guy. There's not a lot of guys around 22 that may fit that profile. I personally have Springer as a lottery player. Who knows when he really pans out, but there's a lot of what I see in terms of just his floor right now as to what he can contribute immediately and down the line where, hey, maybe he's a secondary creator. Maybe he has a better individual shot creating ability outside of a plug mid-range shot, right? So it's, yes, it's a near-term pick, but it's also a long-term pick as well.
2: Yeah, no, I like that. That's kind of splitting the difference there, and uh, hoping that he can come in and and you know know a role specifically while also working with someone like Phil Handy. You know, skill development. You know, getting some more moves. How is he at the rim? Because it sounds like the kind of guy he is. Maybe I don't want to say settle is a little bit not not generous, but does he go to mid range as a safety safe place to get a shot off instead of getting in there, getting physical, trying to finish over contact?
1: So I think, once again, from memory, uh, Mm -hmm. he gets around uh, 30% of his total field goal attempts at the rim. 30% is a good mark. Yeah, it is. Right? So what the danger zone is 20%. You're doing really well if it's 35, 40. But 30% is a good average mark. And I just think, you know, he's an 18-year-old kid. The lates were filled over at Tennessee. Uh, He had a couple other wing player types that also weren't specialists. They liked to attack. So. You know when the lanes are clogged you, you do what you can but you know if he's settling on that mid-range shot for now and then maybe down the line he becomes a more aggressive finisher where i think he was uh 65 at the rim i'm mm-hmm. not going to complain right so yeah. there's there's a good foundation of shooting ability shot creation that he can build off of but at least the foundation is absolutely there
2: i mean it sounds like the start of a, a you know three level player you know somebody who can at least catch and shoot you know yeah
1: yeah, I mean, this This is a kind of similar approach to what I have with THT, except he wasn't as good of a shooter as Springer is now. Mm. So imagine THT fell to the mid-second, and I'm like, no, I have him as a mid-first ranking. He's got finishing ability that's just outlier. I'm not going to turn that down. Well, maybe Springer isn't that kind of crazy finisher. He doesn't have one arms. He doesn't have hands like Hawaii. He's not built like a tank. But you know what? He's pretty good, and at least with the other perimeter stuff, he projects a lot better.
2: Yeah. Fits a lot of the needs too. So barring a major slide from someone, uh, who would fall, who you weren't anticipating, if you were making this pick, it sounds like you'd take Jaden Springer, Jalen Springer.
1: Yeah. He would be first on my list. And then if you want me to continue on that list, I could keep on going.
2: Yeah. Go for it.
1: So second is uh, Jared Butler out of, um, oh my gosh, why is it? Oh, Baylor University. Jeez, Slim me for a second. Uh, <laughs> it's been a
2: long way for you, I know.
1: <laughs> it's all so good. so, so here's the thing with Jared Butler. Uh, he doesn't totally line up with that physicality that the Lakers team has as an identity. But yeah, he's a 6'2 guard. Okay, he's got 6'4 arms. Uh, that doesn't really seem appealing. Okay, sure, he's around average point guard size. Okay, well, if I told you he's a fifty-two percent catch and shoot guy, does that change your mind?
2: Mm, Slightly, yeah. Slightly, right? Okay, so you know,
1: (laughs) so let me just pull up some stats. Um, He finishes at the rim at sixty-one and a half percent. His two-point field goal shooting is forty-four percent, which is a really good mark. Three-point line is forty-one point six. Just to clarify, his catch and shoot was fifty-one point one, and. This is all proven shooting for the past three years. It hasn't slid or deviated, which I think is a great sign of, hey, this guy is a consistent shooter. This is what he does first. This is his strength, Mm. right? So now it's how do we keep this guy on the floor? Well, personally, I think he has more upside as the pick and roll playmaker instead of his teammate, Davion Mitchell. They won a championship last year. But defensively, what I thought was unique was... Yeah, he's 6'2", 6'4", arms. Why does he have a 1.3% block rate? So Um, I was looking at his film, and he just has this amazing ability to – he doesn't need a lot of load time. He just blocks three-point shots really, really well. He them really well. That's not something I expect out of a point guard. Yeah. But, you know, if you could keep moving your feet laterally, and, yeah, maybe – you might get um, you know a little hit from a driver here or there, but if you can rotate defensively on time and contest shots really well without fouling, yeah, I think we can keep you on the floor. And he has that unique ability. So once again, there's that short-term uh, upside of what he can do now with, in terms of his shooting. Yes, we can keep him on the floor. He has this one defensive skill that maybe can get be maybe be passable, but then long-term, he's probably one of the most advanced ball handlers in the draft. He's really mm-hmm. good at creating his own space. Um, he may not be the most pinpoint passer out of pick and roll, but at least he can make the reads in a timely way where he can find the open man. So, yeah, to me, that screams a lot of upside as a point guard. But next to LeBron, where he's going to be doing the facilitating and Butler may be catch and shoot. He may be a movement shooter. He may be coming off screens, all that stuff. That's all within his bag. So, mm. yeah, that's that'd be a great pick for, for LA. I have him as a bit first. He might slide down to 22.
2: Who knows? This isn't exactly something you draft specifically for, but because of injuries last year, we did see the Lakers have a shortage on people who could dribble. So it's nice to know that there's at least somebody who knows how to keep the ball away from the other team. Sorry, I interrupted you carry on. Oh, oh, no worries.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's, it's for me, it's kind of exciting to say, Hey, there might be an actual shot creator with an advanced handle that could actually land at 22. Yeah. And it's actually possible. Yeah. This draft is going to be so wild. Um, and then just going on to the next player with Chris Duarte, once again, it's almost a similar profile with the shooting. He was 71% at the rim, 52% all two-point, forty-two point. I think he's a 79 or 81% free throw shooter. He really had just an outlier year in terms of shooting Dorote is what, maybe 6'6 six, six with a 6'7 wingspan. Sure, it's kind of break even. But he's been flying up the charts lately only because he got a lot of on ball reps and he made good decisions out of that. He didn't make a ton of complicated mistakes. He makes a lot of simple decisions. He doesn't really force the issue and make, you know, just be a turnover prone player. And then defensively, he was born in a team defensive scheme where he was taking on the lesser wing but at least he understood when to dig on role players or when to dig on post players mm. when to anticipate a steal when pass away, how to read the perimeter so that you're guarding the guy not just shielding from the ball for ball denial but maybe just getting to the correct position so when the ball is received that he's in the right spot all the other stuff he's that kind of guy that championship teams can rely on him because he doesn't he plays within his, Well, I guess I guess you could say within his box, but at least, hey, he's a shooter. I know how he's gonna defend. He's very predictable on both ends. And yeah, no, that's a guy I could trust playing beside me and be positive in a lineup. So that's why Chris Duarte is doing really well.
2: Yeah, watching, you know, I'm watching a little bit of his film right now like his defense, great timing on his jump, you know, block contests, mm-hmm. something that's a, a skill within and of itself, just being able to know how to go slow, slow, so fast right now, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the pacing yeah. of it, he's under control, he's he's in control, Um, mm-hmm. and the angles he takes, you know, he's not going to take his body forward into a guy, he's taking his body yeah. past a guy, and yeah. blocking with a swipe, you know, clean swipe, so if he misses again, no foul, but if, if he mm-hmm. times it right, that's a block, Um, which, you know, I mean, I know we're not drafting this guy for his help defense blocks, but it's that extra feather in his cap that fits in right. really, really, really well with this Lakers team scheme uh, and Frank Vogel. I know Frank would let him loose and they would figure out a way to rotate behind him. If, if, you know, he really liked his help defense.
1: Yeah, I, I think when you're rotating out to shooters and just trying to contest three point shots, try to force the guy off the line. And if you just make a sidestep and put the ball on the floor, that changes the rhythm at least. And at least it buys a time to for the team to actually rotate to the shooter or at least make the guy make a decision. Sometimes that's all you can do at the NBA level, but if it gets to that point, so be it. Right. It's better that than an uncontested three-point shot, or worse yet, a three-point shot that's a make plus the foul. I that's the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So when a player does the simple things and doesn't make the major mistakes, I think that goes far left with the soccer team.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And he's got a little bit of size, you know. I know you're you're uh, you're always a sucker for dudes with long arms.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I know he's a bit of a, an exception with the almost break-even wingspan. But you mentioned earlier his timing is just so good. And there's even when, say, his teammate knocks the ball loose, he's the first one to the ball every time. That's why he's got that insane steal rate. And he's got a block rate to go along with it. It's kind of hard to ignore. Yes, I want the guy who reacts quickly to the ball as soon as it's loose. Absolutely. Um, not really too much of a gambler defensively, which I think Coach Vogel would actually appreciate a lot. Mm-hmm. So, what I thought was unusual was, um, at least I was taught when I was playing basketball. Hey, if I'm in ball denial, I'm supposed to face my guy and then ball denial with my left hand, with my off arm, and then just kind of shield it. In Duarte's case, he opens up to the ball. He's like, no, I know I'm going to get it. So at least when I get it, I see it come in and I'm just going to go the other way. That takes a whole different level of confidence, but he's got a great steal rate. I think it's three and a half percent. So
2: That's just general awareness of where the ball is at all times. Rotating your body, rotating your head to keep an eye on the ball, know where your guy's at. You know, you'd reach out, touch him just to feel he's still there so you can look away for a half second, stuff like that. You know, all these little things that – and honestly, this comes with continuity of being in a program. Yeah. And it's it's not a one-to-one like we talked about. There's no magic bullet if you do this, then this. But certain Ooh. players who stay in the same program for multiple years, and I'm not also, you know, saying guys shouldn't come out after one year either. I They, they should do whatever they want. You know, but yeah, there yeah, is absolutely. value in going to a program saying I'm going to become the best player I can be, you know, and fitting within a role on a team. And that's when you start to build that draft stock and show teams, hey, I can buy into being a role player that is maybe more conducive to a, you know, 15 to 30 pick than a, a lottery pick guy.
1: Yeah, I, especially in Duarte's case and and for a few other draft picks that might be in the Lakers range as well. Duarte was known as a dunker and a primary ball handler out of junior college. And then he went to Oregon, mm-hmm. right? So then when he went to Oregon, he became a little bit more of a catch and shoot guy, but he still got some on-ball reps and you know what, those on-ball, on-ball reps were still really good outcomes. So now you're showing me a guy who can change an archetype just a little bit. And he plays within a defensive scheme. well, That's really hard to find. Adaptability is one of the hardest things I find out of rookies. Mm. So usually the rookies that I find that are successful from the jump means their roles didn't change so dramatically. They weren't a number one guy that all of a sudden had to beat the five guy and just play defense anymore. Now it's Tyrese Maxey. What does Tyrese Maxey do for the 76ers? Plays on ball defense. He slashes. He's not a diehard primary, right? He's not getting all of the touches. He's just like... No, I play off Joel or I play off Ben Simmons, but this is what I do. I'm an op- opportunistic scorer right now. I'm going downhill. That's what he does, mm-hmm. right? And then the same for Emmanuel quickly. Quickly was a 3 and D player out of Kentucky. And then even on New York, he didn't exactly get a ton of PR reps. He was still more of that 3 and D guy. And when the shot was open, he took it. He made a decent enough percentage. I think it was 37%. <laughs> But he's not dictating the offense. He's not shouldered with this offensive load that he's unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. So I think even in his case, yeah, New York finally made it to the playoffs. Great for them. Quickly played well for them within his first year. And I think that says a lot about not only hey playing the same role and saying something about NBA uh, readiness, but just being able to contribute to a playoff team. That says a lot.
2: Yeah. And honestly, that's, you know, if we're not going to use this pick to upgrade or, you know, filter out some of the players we don't want, need, whatever you want to call it for not using this pick to make, have an upgrade. We, we need the near term. We're a championship contending team. And, and, you know, I, I was, I've been pining for us to keep the pick because I love Jesse and I think he does a great job. And, <laughs> literally outside of the one pick that magic told him to make and Bogner. Yeah. You know, yeah. they have knocked it out of yeah. the park year after year after year. Um, and it's not always been a THT, you know, diamond in the rough, even, you know, it's, it's small moves too. the Josh Hart's, the Kyle Kuzma's, the Larry Nance. Larry Nance. Was a great Absolutely. So, so, so I want them to keep it, but I appreciate the, player who's willing and ready. Cause you know, we talk about it with Tim about how LeBron teams, you know, you know, your role. And if you're yeah. not like LeBron's chopping up your game to best suit what he's doing. And yeah. it, it, it's a rising tide kind of situation where it, it does yeah. help everyone. Cause LeBron is so <clears throat> smart at basketball that he knows where he needs you most, but For you to succeed in that position, you need to be willing, able, and eager to fulfill those things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Adaptability is a major thing. And I think it just really helps when the strength of the player in terms of skill leans into what the Lakers actually need. And there's a unique opportunity this season to actually get that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, let LeBron facilitate at least the championships. If you hit shots, you might get a ring that's what it looks like, Yeah, you know?
2: So, so I know those are kind of the three main guys uh, that you were focusing on. I obviously you have them slotted a little bit higher than the Lakers spot, but you also read other people's mocks. You're listening to the, the chatter throughout the league. So you have a feel for who's going up. I think Duarte probably won't be there from some of the things I've seen. Uh, But is, is that, is that right?
1: Uh, he's just been flying up the box lately. Uh, there's a couple other guys that I think were once below the Laker spot that might be rising up. But I'm banking on the idea that there's so many pick. There's so many teams that have like three to five picks. They're not all gonna pick these polished players. They're gonna take mm. a few projects and willing to gamble a little bit. Interesting. So I'm I'm banking on the idea that hey, some of these guys are gonna slip down, and maybe it's not Springer. Maybe it's not Duarte. Maybe it's someone else. And I just want to know who that someone else yeah. is.
2: Well, Orlando has two picks. So that's two players off the board right now that are just going to push down because, you know, they're going to pick players who can't shoot. Um, like like six, eight players who can't shoot. Oh, Scotty Barnes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I was actually thinking about Scotty in this part of this conversation we were having because – I have seen a little bit of him. I he's been on the big stage a little bit more and he seems like a guy who'll just, yeah, go in and like, what do you want me to do? Like, I'll yeah, do it. That's what you know? like. Sure. I'll do that
1: too. That's, that's what I like most about Scotty Barnes. Like he also has this enthusiasm about how he plays. I don't know if you've watched his games, but like they'll go on a fast break and then maybe he'll dunk and get an N one or something. And then he'll just, you know, do the Cabbage Patch on the side, like he just <laughs> plays with a unique joy that I, I don't think a lot of NBA players would actually appreciate next level, sure. but at least his own team well, absolutely. Right? And then he'll get his own team psyched up, and then they'll want to play next to that guy, and that matters a ton. So yeah, let him facilitate an offense, let him kick out to open guys, let him try to get in transition. That's what he does best. And you know, if if teams are just looking for that kind of guy that will just fit seamlessly in, push the pace he's the right kind of guy for that situation.
2: All right, man. So give me a couple other names and you can, you can do this one a little bit quicker, but who else are you looking at that? Maybe things don't fall the right way. All three of these top targets are off the board. And, you know, maybe you trade back to 28 or something to, to, to get one of these guys.
1: So uh, just really quick. uh, We mentioned Kessler Edwards earlier. Mm -hmm. He, I project him as a 3 and and D wing, maybe a combo forward, but he's a 39% shooter through three years at Pepperdine. Um, We spoke about his physicality and his team defensive play. He's not going to be a creator, but he knows his role, and it's what he he excels at. I think he's just being mocked lower because his shot is kind of funky, the shot is kind of flat, and I think it's more about core leg strength than shooting form. So that's Kessler Edwards. Uh, Another player is Miles McBride out of West Virginia, six, two, I think he's got six, seven arms, but you know, once again, point of attack defender, but unlike Springer, who kind of defaults to that mid range, um, kind of post jump shot, he has a pull-up jumper and he uses it in transition. And he's really comfortable with that three point range as well. I think it's 41.4% behind the arc. Can't be quoted, mm-hmm. but just the ability to be a pull-up jump shot threat off the dribble goes really far, especially at a guard spot. And, you know, that's also another need for the Lakers anyway, that just might lean into, Hey, if LeBron is going to facilitate, well, I've got the secondary guy who can create his own shot a little bit and at least can be a two way player. And then a little bit more of a creator is Josh Christopher out of Arizona state. Um, once again, it's probably six three, six four, six eight, six nine arms. There, I feel like they're almost all the same. You have a tight. Relative height. You have a tight. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Especially for this draft. Yeah, yeah. But see, Josh Christopher is out of L.A., and his dad is a musician, and his brothers are ball handlers, and you see it in his game, right? He has a lot of improvisational 1v1 uh, shot creation ability. I love this guy. Yeah, this... You know, the percentages don't reflect that greatly. Like, I think he's a 34% two-point guy and maybe a 30% three-point guy. But I don't think it's like he has to do a complete shot revamp, right? I think it's more along the lines of, hey, these are tough shots or contested shots. And maybe if I simplify my shot just a little bit, just make it a little bit more efficient, Mm -hmm. these are going to go in. But in his case, I think he's also 65% finishing at the rim. He's just a terror going downhill. Now, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the combine.
2: I did not. Yes or no. no.
1: Okay. So, so one of my favorite things is, okay, game one combine, he showed out really well and had, had a great game. Okay. And I, I thought he was going to shut it down. He's like, no, nah, I'm not going to shut it down. I'm going to play, I'm going to play game two. Right. <laughs> He's competitive. I like it. Game two, what happens? Downhill gets a shot. He's in isolation, gets a shot. I think he had like six six shots within the first three minutes. And I think he was kind of like, you know what? If I know I had a good game the last game, well, I'm going to bring that confidence to the next game and I'm going to see what else I could bring. And sure, not all the shots are the greatest mm-hmm. or the wisest, right? but you like seeing a guy who's confident in what they could do and just putting pressure on the defense at all given times. So it's like, man, this guy again is going to pull up on me. Yeah. Like this guy's really going down on transition. Yeah. Like give me a break. So that's what I like about him. Uh, defensively. He's capable of really spectacular plays. He's really explosive. Uh, he can really force turnovers as well. And he sub guys. Um, maybe a little bit more discipline would be helpful, especially in a team construct, but man, you're telling me, oh, I've got a ball handling guard who's strong and explosive and aggressive and improvises. Yeah, that's kind of the dude I tend to lean to in the draft.
2: See, the improvisation thing is as, you know, unquantifiable as it may be. The feel for the game thing is a thousand percent real. And yeah, if you have defensive rotation concerns, scheme, you know, all that, I gosh, I feel a lot better knowing Frank Vogel is our coach. You yes, know, see what he's done with players who I don't consider rotation, you know, great defensive rotation players uh, in terms of like literally going from here to there. Now I got yours. You got mine down the line. You know, yep. he's fantastic at making a clear plan for, you know, and I don't want to say simplify because it's not simple, no. but he pr- can clearly communicate and teach this. So I feel confident that those things that you can't teach, like feel, improvisation, yeah, you know what I mean? You can Absolutely. find that middle ground there and, oh, I'm a particularly suited coach to bring some of these deficiencies up. And, you know, I can't teach the other stuff he's good at. So yeah. the confidence is all great. Again, that's probably not the role they're going to be in. It would be, you know, THT was kind of in that this year as far as let's give him 10, 15 minutes and see what happens. Maybe it becomes 20 if he's going off. Maybe it becomes six if he's, you know, getting lost on on the weak side. But there's options there. And he, depending on the other team's bench, was cooking people, you know, at 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's
1: there's a lot to say for that upside. Um, just I, I've always kind of thought of THT as a, uh, you know, kind of a stop-go kind of shiftiness, right? Where I can accelerate, hit the brakes, oh, I got my space, I'm pulling up. And then in Josh Christopher's case, he's got that. And then he shifts defenders side to side, which... Leaker team is really just sorely Lacking yeah right so just That added dimension of shifting guys Over one way or another hey no I'm Going to put you on this side because I'm going to open Up my lane and this is going to open up This quarter pass and I want this three point Shot to my teammate that's what I Think Christopher can do well
2: I like that and I and again these are Names on a page to me I'm going to go <laughs> Watch I'll be in person in Summer League you know seeing how they're <laughs> Trying to apply their new skills To the NBA oh. We'll we'll get our same usual seats. I'm guessing, like, yes. oh, it's so the
1: Laker game. No, we know what corner would be
2: at. Yes, get there eight <laughs> hours early to get a decent seat because, you know, it's it's gonna be wild. Everyone's gonna be ready uh, to go to Vegas and and watch some yeah bad basketball. <laughs> no, it's great.
1: I'm here for it.
2: <laughs> no, if you've never been, honestly, you know, game started like what, like noon, like yep. ten. You watch basketball for 10 hours and then you're in Vegas. Like, you know, it, yeah, it's just, really the best weekend ever.
1: Yeah. I mean, just, just go out, get some grub at a buffet, just show up the next, show up the next day. Don't be hungover and you're yeah. ready to watch another 10 hours. Okay. Great. Yeah,
2: <laughs> Sitting in an air conditioned gym. You know, I, my favorite thing is sitting in the stands, you know, for just for those who haven't been before, you know, I'm sitting in the stands one day. I remember this. There's the whole, like on both sides of the hoop, there's like. Yeah areas where just like nba players are chilling yep i don't fully expect that this year but i remember boogie walks in right this is sacramento boogie so Mm -hmm. they had just signed rondo they just got Mm bielitsa you know they just got vince carter i think that was that Mm -hmm. summer Mm -hmm. george carl was still their coach yeah
1: if you don't remember this no this this is all good times though i just He walks
2: straight past George Carl and daps up Rondo. Or, you know, like, he, like, like, Carl is like, I'm watching this. I'm not watching the basketball court. Like, I watch Boogie just, like, not acknowledge George Carl's presence.
1: It, it, It says everything all right there, doesn't it?
2: It's so many little things. Like, wow. Like, I mean, thank God for Twitter. We find out about all this stuff anyway. But it's really like, look, Boogie's fucking hating on his coach right in front of my eyes. Just like 200 feet away. He's dogging his coach. Yeah, and There's so yeah. many little interactions you pick up if you look for them. you know, like even players on the bench, like who's into everyone succeeding mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's a tryout. Yeah, it, It's like Josh Christopher at the NBA. Con- I'm going to get my shots. Like you guys can hate me all you want. Like I'm looking out for, and they're all looking out for me. But the guys who do that through making the other players better Mm -hmm. speaks volumes. You know, the selfish, the unselfish players moving the ball around, making the right basketball play instead of the right knee play.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Good times.
2: Good times, man. Hopefully we'll be back there in a couple of weeks. I didn't want to take up too much of your time. Like I said, I know you've done this up and down (laughs) on all the pods. So. I appreciate you coming on us uh, and and just chatting through, you know, talking to my uneducated ass about the, some of these players.
1: <laughs> hey,
2: at least you know who they are, now. <laughs> I do, I do. And like the seriously, like the the, ooh, the what's a risk? Like you know, I kind of have an idea for like, oh man, big upside. But like, is is Springer able to contribute immediately? I oh, I hope so. But that's you know what I mean. Like I yeah. feel like I'm primed for what the next steps will be depending on, you know, one of these four or five, six guys gets taken. Yeah, no,
1: for sure. It's going to be fun to find out who it is and we'll see how it plays out during the summer week.
2: Last thing before you go, is there any sure. play a pick or team that you're just kind of like, what are they going to do? Is it three? Is it two? Is it, you know, six? I don't know. Is OKC trading up okay. what's on your, what's on your mind?
1: Okay, you, you know I'm a best player available kind of person. Yes. Right. And I was reading The Athletic earlier about how the scouting, how about the Lakers scouting team and their approach? And hey, look, it's the exact same thing. So that being said, uh, for me, Kate is number one. I would have dropped to the last year number one, and I probably would have drafted mm. him at Montverde number one when he was 17 years old. I'm that high on him as a player. Love it. That being said, the number two pick, um, just from what I've read on Twitter, there's a lot of people who want Jalen Green. I love Jalen Green. He's great. He's really explosive, and he's really dynamic, and he's one of those rare athletes. Mm-hmm. He, he just he just is. But if you're telling me that Evan Mobley is going to be available and it doesn't matter to me who's on the roster, you have a big that's capable defensively of playing all different ways of pick and roll, hard hedge, soft hedge, oh, you're going to pull up from mid-range because I, you know, I dropped in the paint. Oh, I'm still going to block the shot. Yeah. He's that kind of big man on defense. And on offense, he's a thinker. And you don't often see that out of bigs. Wow. He sees the floor and he has an assist rate that I can't quote because I haven't looked at it recently. But you can see that he's looking for open guys, open cutters before he's opting into, uh, going into his own offense that he's really capable of. So really the, the worst thing I see out of Mobley is oh he's kind of thin and he has a high post base. like that's like, all I gotta worry about. You're telling me he's big that plays defense, thinks the game, kind of attacks off the dribble like a wing and has shown three point range and he has touch. Where's the downside? Why am I turning him down again? Yeah, fun yeah. Houston. Evan Mobley's the guy. That's pretty definitive. Yeah. So
2: that doesn't even sound like a like that is definitely a current NBA player. That sounds like a future where the league is going kind of oh player. absolutely
1: absolutely you want a big that could just maximize opportunities but play at the top of the key or at the elbows and be like okay wings go create opportunities i'll find you yeah and you've got a big that could do that yeah that's a huge dynamic offensive advantage right off the jump you don't have to one pick and roll a hundred thousand times in a row anymore they've yeah. got this other asset and then on top of that if you put them in pick and roll you got this awesome short rule guy that has a floater game, who's explosive, right. who can make those short passes and hit, hit those corners. Right. Uh, I don't know what else.
2: I so, mean, like for a position too that's so like the middle tier of centers is so like almost extinct these days. And yeah, there's yeah. middle tier contracts, but yeah. as far as skill set, and there's either you're a big, you're an anchor, or you're a you're a pop big, or yeah. you know what I mean, and that's about yeah. it. You're either. Joel Embiid or your, you know, I don't know, a Zeller who is just like, <laughs> yeah. fine, you're fine, yeah. but not like more than like a $6 million player or something. Yeah.
1: You're just highly you're,
2: replaceable, you know?
1: Yeah. You're, uh, I guess my cheap is looking at bigs that do wing like things. And the archetype right. of that is just Anthony Davis. Right. Yeah. I mean, he plays like, I mean, we don't think of him as getting catches on a wing like Kobe and then creating his own shot, but it's still 18 feet away from the hoop. He's still pulling up from 18 to 21 feet. He's just shooting over a guy, not doing yeah. some dynamic handle thing first and then taking the shot. Mm-hmm. Right. It's he's operating from the same spots on the floor. So now there's Evan Mobley who I'm like, he, he doesn't have those kind of shots in the bag, but I mean, he drives like a wing. He just like a wing. Like he's a wing. He just happens to defend bigs and maybe he can anchor. Wow. That's a giant advantage. I would it's, not pass that up.
2: It's just nine things that are valuable that, like, most there's not nine tool players out there like that who can do all these very divergent things. You yeah. know what I mean? That's just makes these the it, we've thrown unicorn around far too much <laughs> in the draft process yeah. over the last six years, you know? So. I just wanna to say that those guys I'm with you. I I'm more familiar with the top end of the, you know, you see them on SportsCenter. Center. You see mm-hmm. the highlights on Twitter more than some of the mid-late guys. So I'm fully with you on Caden Mobley. Um, I haven't seen a ton of Jalen Green, but uh I, I get it. I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Suggs, obviously watching him. He's he's, he's a gamer. He's a yeah. game, he'll be very good for a long time. And uh yeah, man, I'm excited for this draft. This is one of the the better drafts in recent memory from what it seems like it and, and oh, yeah. want to go see all these guys play in Vegas. So yeah, thank, you again, thank you again, Mike.
1: Thank you for no. coming. I appreciate the invite. It's good to catch up with you. I'll catch up with you in Vegas. It's going to be a blast.
2: Let's do it, man. Tell the people where they can find you and get your sub stack info, even though the drafts be over soon, but <laughs> you're still doing stuff. You're still, you're doing this stuff year round. You didn't just pick this up last week. You know what I mean? So
1: yeah. So just find me at, at Canyon Driver on Twitter or LakersDraft.substack.com. Feel free to leave comments, ask about players if you want them to be evaluated by me and have them written about. I'm open to that, absolutely. I kind of feel like I've covered a core 10 of 15 guys, generally speaking, throughout the range of the draft. But if there's another specific guy you want me to cover, I would love to write about
2: him. Thank you so much again, Mike. Um, I will see you soon, my guy. Talk to All you right. soon, man.
1: All right, take it easy, man. See you. Later.